0: I'm happy to be here. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Rob. I have the privilege of being the student minister on staff here at Wellspring. And graduates, you have done it. Congratulations. We are excited for you. We are praying for you. We are celebrating with you. And I bet right now you feel like you just have it all figured out, right? You have have ascended the mountain. You have reached the top. You have accomplished every grade you needed to meet. You've done good enough on the tests. You probably didn't turn in all your homework, but that's fine nowadays, apparently. Uh, You've made it. And as a church, we're happy for you. We want to celebrate with you. We're excited for you. If you're a senior, would you raise your hand quickly this morning? Let us know where you are. Give them a round of applause, real quick. So, For those of you who know me, you know that I've been on staff here at Wellspring for four years now, almost four years. um, But I've been the student minister for two of them. And we'll get there in just a bit. But when I I look at the student ministry, when I look at our students who have graduated, who are about to graduate now, uh, I, I just can't stop thinking about how good our God has been to them. And how good our God has been to our church for having them with us. Uh, our church is better because our students who are here are here. And I think that's what we're celebrating. But not only that, I want to stop any chance I get to say thank you to the church because our students are better because they're at a church where you are. Whether you are a parent or not, whether you have a student or a child in a ministry here at Wellspring or not, you still have the ability to speak into be a role model for, and guide the students and children who are growing up in our church. And I think that's an incredibly special role that you get to play. So would you give it up for our church who has supported these students? And selfishly, I'm thankful that you all will continue to support our students. Uh, But this time of year, it's easy because you, you feel like you've reached the end of something. If you're a senior, you feel like you've reached the end of something. And in a lot of ways you have, but in more ways, you're just about to begin something completely new. And it's easy to feel like you're at the end of something, but you're not even really at the beginning of something either. You're really about to embark on the middle, which is a series we've been in here at Wellspring for a few weeks now. You are about to step into just the thick of life and the difficulties and the challenges and also the joys and the excitements And around this time of year, when I hear somebody giving a message or when I hear somebody doing a a devo to graduates, they use often this verse that we find in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter that he wrote before he died. And here's what he says in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who have longed for his appearing. I've always thought it was an interesting verse to use because you guys aren't about to die like he was. At least hopefully not. You guys aren't in the same category as Paul was. But as Paul is looking back on a life, looking back on a difficult life, for those of you who know the life of Paul, who was once a man named Saul who was persecuting and killing and attacking Christians, who had a transformative journey and a life he probably didn't expect that led him to be one of, if not the greatest Bible writing theologian of all time, aside from Christ himself. That journey probably had a lot of unexpected turns, a lot of unexpected hits. And I love the word he uses in that phrase, in that verse, when he says, I have fought the good fight. Not only how many of you have ever been in a fight before. You can tell by the everything about me that I have not Um, but when you're in a fight, if you know where every hit is going to come from, if you know where every punch is going to come from, then you're not really in a fight. Are you, you're dancing. If you can anticipate every hit, then you're not in a fight. You're doing something completely different. So I think it's fitting that Paul looks back on his life on all the highs and the lows, all the challenges, all the things he did not see coming. And he says, this has been a fight. And, and seniors in the room and even other students in the room, I imagine right now you feel like you maybe have some answers. And a lot of you have a plan. We just saw a wonderful video that had all of your plans and the journey you're going to go on and the next steps you're planning to take. And I think that if you asked everybody in this room, if they stuck to the plans that were on their high school slideshow, I don't think it would all be 100%. I don't think we were batting a 1000 You know, I think if you turn to somebody next to you, turn to your parent and say, did you anticipate every struggle in your life? Ask that person you only know because they sit in the row in front of you. Did you anticipate every single hit that came your way? When you graduated high school, did you see everything coming that happened in your life? No, you absolutely didn't because life is a fight and it's a struggle and things are going to come out of nowhere that you have no way of anticipating but that's part of the journey and it's part of the joy it's also part of right now the fear and so for you students who are entering that stage of life who are about to embark on the middle i want to challenge you to do something For me, it was two years ago. Like I said, I started in 2019 as the worship minister, and now I'm the student minister, which means something happened in the middle. And for me, it was two years ago. I was at CIY. I was at Lee University with our, uh, at the time, our high school students, many of which are graduated now. And while I was in uh, a dorm room, I was having a conversation with my wife, Corinne, and I told her, man, I really like hanging out with these students. And she, and she said, well, let's talk about it when you get home, but just enjoy the rest of your time and we'll go from there. I said, okay. And so we were going whitewater rafting that day uh, as part of our high school trip. And so that afternoon we go and we get uh, to the whitewater rafting place because I don't think there's a better name for it. And they're going to load us up on this bus and they're going to take us up to where we can go into the river to where we got to start and so we all get our life jackets on and our, our helmets on and our paddles and all of us load into this yellow school bus that is barely running. Uh, there's no AC and it's in the middle of June and we get like, it's probably like what, a 45 minute drive or something to the top. We make it probably 35 when a Mountain Dew truck tips over and blocks this two lane highway. And so there we are just sitting just with our oars and and we're all sweating, and none of us are happy, and everybody smells bad. And I'm in the back of this bus, and I'm surrounded by some sophomores and freshmen at the time who are now our our seniors, which is incredible. And I'm surrounded by them, and while every other leader is probably pulling their hair out and wishing they were anywhere else, I have never felt a more peaceful moment than in that time. And I am weird for it and I get it. But that was the moment for me. I got back from that trip. We ended up having to go the next day. We had to make like a five point turn and go back to where we were and come back later to Whitewater Raft. It was terrible. But I got back and I called my wife again and I said, I'm going to apply for that job. I'm going to apply for that role. And we talked about it. And it sounds like I just told her I was doing. We prayed about it. We talked about it. And I'll tell you this my wife encouraged me and she encourages me all the time still. And she actually said this recently, she goes, well, maybe we should stop thinking about it and we should start praying about it. And it was incredibly wise and it's still incredibly wise advice. And it's the advice I want to pass along to you seniors today. You have a lot to think about today. You have a lot of questions to answer at your grad parties. You have a lot of things that people are going to be asking of you and for you. You have a lot of plans you've got to set in place. you got a lot of things to think about. Stop thinking about everything and start praying about everything. Because for me, I don't always do that well. I'm not always great at saying we need to stop and we need to pray right now. I like to think I'm getting better at it. But the time I put that into practice when I was the worship minister, and I thought about every reason why I shouldn't switch over to the role of student minister. I thought, well, I'm a worship minister. What if people think I don't like my job or the church? What if people don't think I'm good enough to be the student minister? What if there's more qualified people I'm saying no to? I made a million excuses, but all I had to do was turn the door handle and God opened the doors he wanted and he shut the ones he didn't. And so that's my challenge to you. Pray all the time. And I I don't think it's a mistake. I think it's really fitting. Uh, If you look in scripture, I said Paul's last letter was 2 Timothy. But what most scholars believe to be one of his first letters, if not the first letter he wrote in 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, he says this in verse 16. He says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I've not always done that well, that prayed continually. But two years ago, my wife and I did. We prayed continually and we said, God, if this is what you have for us, we'll step into it. And I can say with full confidence that God has not brought me, aside from the day I got married and the day I turned my life over to him, more joy and fulfillment than I find being your student minister. He has blessed me beyond measure in this way. And it was because my wife and I were willing to say yes. We were willing to say we had a plan. We had an idea. We had all of our things we were committed to. But God said, I think you should do this. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we moved from our plan to his. And there's going to come a time, if it hasn't already in your life, where you're going to have to decide, am I willing to step away from my plan for his? And for all of you, students, adults, parents grandparents, I'm telling you, when you say yes to God, on the other side, there is goodness and faithfulness from our father in heaven. And there is great peace and joy that we find in it. So pray without ceasing, because when I did that, I got to be your student minister and it's been the best. And I'm very proud of you. I'm very excited for you. And I know all of you are going to do great things. Pray without ceasing. That is the advice. And so we want to start that off. So if you are a graduate, would you please stand and come up to the stage? You can do it. Don't leave me hanging. Come on up. Come on up. I actually messaged them. They're coming up. Give them a round of applause as they do. I mess. So we sent a message out earlier in the week to ask them if they'd be at both services because I said, you know what they would do to me? They would just not show up. So I look dumb up here asking them to come join me on stage. So you guys, just get in the line here. And here's what I'd like us to do. Uh, I want you to remember a few things. A, remember that you are loved by your Father in heaven greatly, no matter where you go. Remember that our God has blessed our entire world with people who want to follow him in a global church, so there's always going to be a place for you. But never forget that you have a place here, wherever you go, and that every family and parent and friend, we're all praying for you. We're all joining you in this new journey. And no matter where you go, you have a home here. So church, would you extend a hand out to join me as we pray over these graduates who enter a next step in their journey? Father God, what a joy it is. What a joy it is to see your plan unfold. And God, these students and us and nobody in this room has any idea what the future holds for ourselves or for these individuals, but we do know that you're good and that you love them and you love us. So Father, I pray as they embark on something new that you would give them a peace that surpasses understanding. Give them a peace that doesn't make sense because it doesn't come from the world. It doesn't come from within. It comes from you. God, for each student on this stage and off this stage who is moving on to a new chapter, God, would you embolden them? Would you give them courage to step off their path when you call and help them walk with you? And God, help them know that wherever they are, you're right there with them. And they are loved, valued, and have great purpose. We love you. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray and give thanks. Amen. You let them know one more time how much we value them. You guys can...
1: Rob gets to talk to the, the students. We're so proud of them. And, uh, and I get to talk to the old people because well, we know, you know, the students think it's days about them, but if you've had a graduate, you know, really, it's kind of about you too. So I get to talk to the older people, primarily, not just because I have more gray in my hair than Rob does, but primarily because I was also on that bus that day and had a very different experience, I think, than he did. <laughs> I did not feel any kind of calling, uh, that day. So uh, that's why I get to talk to the older folks, I guess. So, in Titus chapter 2, uh, Paul gives a, a great picture of what it means for the older generation, a responsibility that the older generations have to pass on to the younger. And I think that this is going to be helpful for us whether you're a, a parent of a graduating senior this year, whether you have children coming up behind who are not yet seniors but, but they're growing into that, or whether you're, your kids are grown, you got graduates, or if you don't have kids. And you have the responsibility still to impact the next generation coming along behind through the school, through your neighbors, through your nieces, and nephews, all of that. It really applies to all of us here. But Titus gives us a good picture of what that looks like. Titus 2 says, we're to exercise self-control, be worthy of respect, live wisely. We must have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. And, and I think that verse is chocked full. So I want to use it as a, as a bit of an outline for what my remarks for today. And I want to start with the idea of exercising self-control. This is is especially important if you're a a first-time parent of a graduating senior. Now, if you've had uh, kids who graduated, now you've got one, but they're the third one or fourth one, you're old hat. But for the rookies, you need to pay attention to this because there's going to be opportunities for you to exercise self-control that are really key over these next couple of months. So when they prepare to go to college or the military or, or whatever they're, whatever they're going to, do not chain yourself to the car before they leave. Like exercise self-control. Don't, don't give into that urge. Um, don't, don't ask to move into the dorm with them as their roommate. That's a bad idea. Don't print up a t-shirt with either of your pictures, your faces on the front of the t-shirt. That's just a bad idea. Exercise self-control. If you exercise self-control That will help you with tip number two, be worthy of respect, because you can't have respect with their picture on on your T-shirt. That's not going to work. But before we leave exercise control, let me say a bit more about that uh, today. These next several months, for you especially, are going to be filled with lots of tasks, lots of emotions, and not a lot of margin. And that's a recipe uh, for some difficulties that come from having all three of those together. So if that's true, and it likely is, Uh, I want to help you be prepared for the difficulties that those things bring. Psychologists tell us that we should halt if we're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And you will be hungry, angry, lonely, and tired a lot over these next couple of months. And so it really is key that you follow Paul's words to keep your head in all situations. You've got to to be mindful of that as you be self-controlled. Second, the verse tells us to be worthy of respect. I think it's interesting that the the Bible's take on the role of the the influencer and how the Bible approaches influence. It never calls for a heavy-handed leadership style. So the Bible tells children to honor their father and mother. It never tells father and mother to demand honor from them. The Bible tells spouses to give each other love and respect, even submission, but it never tells spouses to require that of the other one. The Bible tells us to pray for governing officials and to give them respect and obedience. It never requires or, or demands that politicians demand obedience from their constituents. It's always on us to give that, not to demand it. And here, the Bible says that we'll be worthy of respect. The onus is still on us. It's not something that gets demanded from them. I, I found a quote recently that talks about uh, the interaction between generations and how how one looks at the other maybe a little disrespectfully. And I thought it'd be helpful for this moment in the the message. See if you can tell where this quote comes from. It says, The children now now love luxury. They have bad manners. They have contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their household. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents. They chatter before company. They gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. Any guesses where that quote comes from? Socrates, 400 years before Jesus. This is not a new problem, right? Or if you're of a certain generation, Socrates, but that's only a few of you who will recognize that name. Uh, That's that's a whole different issue. There's always been a generational battle. This is not new. And, And the generational battle lines often find themselves on the older generation thinks the younger one's disrespectful, the younger generation thinks the older one's out of touch. This is not a new thing. But Scripture cuts past that. Scripture says you be worthy of respect. Don't demand it. Don't require it. You be worthy of it. So if you have a graduate or a near graduate, you have been experiencing and will continue to experience the natural pulling away towards independence that comes at that age. And you want that. Because we, you and I all know examples of, of people who have never pulled away in, towards independence from their parents. And it doesn't end well. You want them to do that. But independence and disrespect can often look an awful lot alike to the recipient, to the parent. So you be worthy of respect through that period. Third, Paul tells us to live wisely. This is another common theme in scripture, and it really plays itself out well as an older generation to the younger. Live wisely. This will serve you well, graduating parents, in the coming days. Ephesians 5 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you're a parent of this year's graduates, you are painfully aware of the reality that faces every parent behind you. Whether they're a parent of a teen, parent of an elementary student, parent of a a toddler or preschooler, baby even, and that is that you and I are only given so many opportunities with our kids. So make the most of them. You know, my youngest daughters, I have four daughters, two are out of college, the other two are just finished their junior year of high school. And I remember when Lauren and Emily, my older two, were at this stage where they were finishing their junior year, it hit me that all of the lead blockers are out of the way. Like you watch seniors go through the last event, the last choir, the last performance, the last uh, situation, and graduation even is a culmination. And every time they go through their last, you realize that's one more last out of the way before my kids get up on deck. And so graduation this week was the last, last event before now they're in the queue. And they'll be seniors. And a year from now, I'll be in the seat you're in. And I'm painfully aware that we need to make the most of every opportunity. Because a year from now, my girls will be getting ready to go off to stupid college. And I'll be the ones in your seat. And we've got to be ready for that together. You know, the end of this verse says that the culmination of making the most of every opportunity is that we understand what God's will is. And it even alludes to the idea that not understanding God's will is foolishness. Like there's a connection between being foolish and not understanding the will of God. And it's in moments like graduation, these turning of the page moments, these, these markers of time moments where you've really got to decide, you're forced to kind of decide what God's will is for you. And that question becomes even more focused. I mean, graduates, how many of you are sick of the question, what are you going to do next year? Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to, what are you going to major in? What's your plans? What's your plans?" Transitions force us to answer those questions. What is the Lord's will for me? And because we have options, graduates are asking, what, what career am I going to pursue? And parents are asking, what does an empty nest look like? What's life going to be like with them out of the house? And grandparents are saying, don't worry, they're coming back. Don't worry. It's, they'll bring more with them when they come sometimes, right? So live wisely. Live wisely. Because we have foundational questions to answer. Foundational questions, no matter what stage you're in, whether you're a, a graduate or whether you're a parent of a graduate, we all have foundational questions to answer. I saw this list recently and, and I wanted to share it with you today, so I marked it in my notes to, to, to bring up today of the questions that we ask. So, so teenagers are asking the question, who am I and what, who am I becoming? It's a question of identity. And you guys, if you're a teen in the room, you, you know that question of identity is so central to where you're at right now in your high school years. Then in the 20s, you ask the question, what will I do in my life? It's a question of purpose. You know, Where am I going to go? What's my career going to be? What, who am I going to marry? How is that going to work? And you're, you're thinking, who am I, I going to do with my life? In your 30s, you ask the question, how do I manage my responsibilities? So you've made some decisions with your identity in your te- in teens and in your 20s. And now, how am I going to manage all that? It's a question of priority. You can't do everything, so you're, you're choosing how to manage the increased responsibilities you have. In your 40s, you ask the question, how do I feel about the person I've become? It's a question of alignment. So I made these decisions in my teens and 20s, and now I'm managing them, but now I've become something. Is this what I even wanted to become? Does it align well with who I wanted to be? In your 50s, you ask the question, have I reached my ceiling? It's a question of significance. And you see people wrestling with this, going buying Corvettes and having you know, new, new midlife crises and all these things they're trying to wrestle with, have I, have I, have I topped out? This path that I'm on, was it the right one? In your 60s, you ask the question, where's my place? Because a lot, of the, a lot of the opportunities that went to you when you were younger are now going to someone else who is younger, and so it's a question of identity. Like, is this? where do I fit now? How does this work as my life is transitioning? In your 70s, you ask the question, how do I handle the sense of loss? Because you have opportunities that are going away, freedom sometimes that are going away, health that's sometimes going away. Even, even friends and loved ones are going away, and it's a question of grieving. How do I handle this sense of loss? In your eighties, you ask the question: Does anybody remember who I was? Because you're not the same person you used to be, and so you ask the question: Does anybody remember the real me, the person that I was before? And it's it's a question of obscurity. You feel like you're you're kind of out of the loop. In your nineties, you answer the question: How will I face the end? Because you're, you're seeing your day coming, and you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're, you're wrestling with that. It's a question of legacy. How will I be remembered? What will my kids, not just my kids, my grandkids, great grandkids how will they view me in my, in my life? And there's so many questions I've asked for how, how to deal with the hundreds, and I've passed on all of them. Like, will Andy even remember me in my hundreds? You know, why am I still here? All kinds of options for the hundreds. Um, but you have the questions. There's, the point is, your, your life is full of questions. So whether you're a graduate or you're well beyond a graduate, your life is always about the next line, the next question, because you're never finished until you get to the end. The reality, whether you're 13 or 83, is you're always in the middle. This series is about in the middle, where you're, you know, you're just starting out, you've got all this energy because it's a new endeavor. At the end, you see the finish line. But in the middle, that's when the day after day after day, when life is lived, and the reality, whether you're 13 or 83, you're in the middle. So you need to live wisely in the middle. You need to make the most of every opportunity in the middle. You need to seek to understand what the Lord's will is in the middle. Titus 2 ends by saying, exercise self-control, be worthy of respect, live wisely. And it ends by saying, have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Ultimately, the best parenting advice I can give you is to have sound faith personally. To pray to God to fill you with love and patience personally because parenting is not for the faint of heart. Whether you've got a graduate or a baby, parenting is not for the faint of heart. And there have been times over the last 24 years as a parent with each of my girls that I have beamed with pride at the great parenting job that I've done on display in those girls. And there have been times over the last 24 years with each of my girls when I've been over my head and felt like throwing in the towel. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. Parenting is quite possibly the best example I know of of in the middle. You're constantly in the middle with these children that God has placed in your life. So if you've been given the responsibility to shepherd someone from the next generation, whether they're a, a baby or a teenager or, or you know, whether they're biologically yours or you've adopted them or you just pretend that they're yours and they're not related to you at all, there's a there's few things you can do that are more positive for them than to have a sound faith personally. I regularly hear people complain you you've probably done it, you've heard it yourself, or maybe you 've even said it yourself about their parents making them do religious things, pushing faith on them. And how they objected to that. And so when they get older, they're like, I'm not pushing anything on my kids faith-wise. I'm going to stay out of that altogether. They can do whatever they want to. And I get that. I get that temptation and that urge to do that. But I have two objections to that line of thinking. First of all, do you do that with the dentist and with homework? Because when I was a kid, I didn't want to go to the dentist. I didn't want to do homework. And that wasn't really up to me. So if you impose on hygiene and homework, then don't be a hypocrite, which by the way is the most tweetable thing I'm going to say today. So that's something you ought to write down. Like that's, that's preaching gold right there. Three H's back to back to back. If you impose on hygiene or homework, don't be a hypocrite. Like that writes, you guys are not writing that down. I don't know why you're not doing that. That's a missed opportunity. Um, so I, I think I think you need to check yourself on that. Second question is, I have seen people walk away from faith when their parents pushed religion on them, but didn't back it up in their own life. I've seen that. But I have yet to see someone whose parents lived out, modeled it out, loved the Lord, and, and, and then their, their kids objected to the fact that they were made to do things later. I just haven't seen it. Kids may, may follow the Lord, they may not follow the Lord, but I've not seen that be the reason because of the expectations. So purpose yourself to have a sound faith personally. To be filled with love and patience for your kids in the way that only comes from God. Because what job matters more than this? What job is is more vital to society than the job of raising up the next generation? I mean, imagine with me, if you will, a company with 100 employees. Let's do a little thought experiment. So there's a company, X, with 100 employees. And this company uh, does great work in the world. So it, it makes widgets or it uh, sells insurance and provides insurance, or maybe it manages an IT network or something vital to the society, right? So here's this company, 100 employees doing this amazing thing, and that's all great, but if, if statistics are correct, those 100 employees, in addition to making widgets or selling insurance, those 100 employees are also raising 250 people from the next generation that will grow up and change the world. And those 250 human beings, if statistics hold, will have about 600 children themselves and their fingerprints are going to be, the 100 employees' fingerprints are going to be on their lives as grandparents to them. And the 600 kids become 1,500 great-grandkids. And by the time you get to seven generations, you've had influence on over 100,000 people. 100,000 people. That's about two spring hills full of people that came from these 100 employees. And that's assuming that they never make an impact on a single child that's not related to them. They never impact a niece or a nephew or a neighbor kid or a friend of their kid's friends or or somebody at church. As great as a career is to, to make widgets or to manage a network or to sell insurance, as important as all that is for society, is there any other job more important than pouring into the next generation? Whether they're in your house or in your church or in your neighborhood, is there anything more important than that? So because of our steep responsibility, I want to challenge you to exercise self-control. Be worthy of respect. Live wisely. Have sound faith. Be filled with love and patience, and by doing that, you and I will make the most of every opportunity because our time is short. Our time is short. Why don't you bow your head and let me me pray for you. God, we pray today for every person who has opportunity to impact the next generation. For those who have children in their home, for those whose children are grown, have grandkids, for those who just have kids around them in the neighborhood or in, in the church. And they have an opportunity, even a responsibility, to pour into this next generation and the one after that. God, I pray that you'd, you'd help us to live wisely in trying times. That you'd help us be worthy of respect. That you'd fill us with love and patience. God, I pray that our world will be a place where increasingly people are hailing you as God, hailing you as King, pointing their lives and their time and their, their opportunities to you as the Lord. And I pray that we, God, is, uh, with the opportunity to steward these children in our lives, these teens in our lives, these young people, we would, we would use that opportunity well for your glory and your renown and your fame in this generation. We're grateful, God, for that opportunity. We pray, God, especially for parents who right now are tired, who have doubts, who aren't sure maybe how they've done, and they doubt themselves, or they're not sure where to go. pray that you give them strength and energy for the days ahead. We love you, God, and we trust you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.